The opinions expressed on two-way traffic are those of Darren Coleman and are for general information purposes only. It does not constitute any legally binding engagement between the podcasters and anyone else. Always check with your advisors to obtain your own tax or investment advice. Welcome to Two-Way Traffic with Darren Coleman of Portage Cross-Border Wealth Management. In this series, Darren aims to guide you through the complexities, complications, implications, and most importantly, the advantages of having money and family on both sides of the border. In this episode, will living longer zap your finances? Darren is joined by Dr. Preet Banerjee to talk about that, artificial intelligence, and more. Enjoy. Okay. Hi, everyone. It's Darren Coleman, and welcome back to Two-Way Traffic. And today, we have a very special guest. We have my friend, Preet Banerjee. So, hi, Preet. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you may look or sound familiar to some people that are that are watching or listening to this. And I thought, maybe if I give a bit of your background, they'll know, oh, that's how I know that guy. Uh, so, you've been a financial panelist on CBC's The National, uh, contributed to The Morning Show. You also are regularly on CFRB, my favorite radio station. Um, and you talk about behavioral finance, economics, personal finance. Um, you've written some books. You've done a podcast. Uh, you're also a doctor. You've got your doctorate, which we'll talk about for in a minute. Um, you've been very active as a financial advisor and as a journalist and a commentator. Uh, you're also friends with Oprah Winfrey, which we've talked about. <laughs> we'll share that story. Uh, you actually won a competition and that puts you on television uh, for a show called Million Dollar Neighborhood, which I think had two seasons, if I'm right. Two seasons. I was the host of the second season and Bruce Celery was the host of the first season. Okay. So fantastic. We talked to Bruce um, and you've got a doctorate now. So I guess I have to talk, talk call you Dr. Preet. Uh, you don't have to. I made it, you know, 46 years on this planet without being called without doctor. And I don't think it's going to stick. At least it won't with my friends and family. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? You worked hard for it. Uh, but that's an interesting <laughs> one because you did that because you're a neuroscientist as well as all those other things. So Yeah, my undergraduate was in neuroscience. Then I actually went to school to try and become a race car driver, uh, ran out of talent and money, <laughs> and then ended up in finance. And I went back to school, did my master's in business and management research and then did my doctorate in business administration. My, my research was looking at trying to figure out what is the value of financial advice to households, right. specifically in Canada. Right. And uh, we'll come back to the race car driver thing a bit later, because now I just <laughs> practice solely on the 407, uh, which is a highway in Toronto. And I think you'd agree with me that the problem with most drivers is that none of them understand we're racing. So that's one of the things <laughs> that's I find now yeah. with the civilians. But <laughs> sure. They all sure. forgot. <laughs> They all forgot. Uh, and actually, one quick thing. So uh, you and I kind of reconnected uh, at the uh, Institute of Advanced Financial Planners Symposium in Edmonton a little while ago, mm -hmm. where you were kind of the main stage speaker talking about the work you did for your doctor, about what is and how do you attempt to quantify the value of advice. And I remember sitting there going, I know this guy. We've met. And I've heard you on the radio. And things. I'm like, I know we've met. And as it turns out, we met in kind of one of your previous careers, something like over 20 years ago. Uh, so it was kind of nice to get reconnected there. Yeah, it is a small industry. You know, the Canadian Financial Services, given enough time, you tend to sort of meet all the people who um, have been around for a while. Um, so it was really nice to, to reconnect with you. It was really a blast from the past. It really was. And how weird we did it in Edmonton, which you've been to many times. That was my first trip. And it's also interesting because you live in the UK. So this is the power of technology. I'm in Oakville, Ontario. Yeah. You're in the United Kingdom right now. 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, I moved to London just about a year ago, uh, almost to the day, and uh, and I moved for love. So my wife's career is based in the UK, and um, we were long distance for five years. And wow. she said, you know, one of us is going to have to make the move, and it's going to have to be you. So, <laughs> so here I am. <laughs> well, that's a sweet story. That's very good. So actually, yeah. while we're on the topic of stories, I like to ask people like, because I'm, I'm a big reader, I like to read anything you read over the last, like since the pandemic over the summer, just any books that stand out that you've really enjoyed lately? Um, I recently finished Going Infinite by Michael Lewis. Um, I know that a lot of people were actually quite upset with the book and by extension Lewis, because they were hoping for an outright indictment of Sam Bankman-Fried, the founder of FTX, which went bankrupt and lost billions of dollars of customers' money. And while there are lots of examples Lewis writes about in which the reader would be hard-pressed to conclude anything other than Bankman-Fried had no business being in charge of people's money, the book follows Lewis's normal style. You know, it's a deep character study of the people involved in the scandal. I still found the book enjoyable, and I don't think people should be deterred by the negative reviews. Now, my only caution is that if you are hoping to read this book, looking for a forensic analysis of what happened with FTX, you're coming in with the wrong expectation. That being said, Number Go Up by Zeke Fox is likely the book that will fill that void. Um, the author gives a very deep account of what actually was going on in crypto land. And while technical at times does read more like a forensic analysis, I enjoyed Number Go Up as much as Michael Lewis's book, but for different reasons. The third book I'll mention is Choice Factory by Richard Schotten. He works in the field of applying behavioral science to marketing, and the book reads like a step-by-step -step guide on how to apply psychology to any type of marketing endeavor. Each chapter focuses on a different behavioral bias, um, complete with an example of how it has been deployed for uh, marketing purposes, uh, along with a prescription of sorts for the reader to then apply it in their own field. In terms of practical takeaways, this book was stellar. Okay, thank you for sharing that. So those three great uh, reads. Uh, for anyone that was is watching this, uh, if you're listening to this, I'm gonna explain what just happened on screen. Uh, Preet and I were not talking to each other and all the all people saw was, you know, Preet and me and then a countdown timer for two minutes. So Preet, just explain what you did there. Cause I think that <laughs> tees up the next part of our conversation really well. Yeah, I've been working a lot with uh, generative uh, artificial intelligence lately uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, but most people will know this as, you know, voice cloning technology or video cloning technology. And you may have seen on social media examples of this where, um, in my case, what I just did there, I never recorded myself giving those book reviews. I literally typed it into a software program, waited about 20 seconds and then it generated that audio which sounds a lot like my voice and i would say to a very scary degree it sounds like my voice and you can adjust the settings in the software to be more creative um, or uh, less stable and so it'll do things like insert filler words more breaths between words uh, it'll play with the language uh, that you type into this the software program and uh, it's phenomenal. It's mind-blowing. And so that's just audio 
cloning technology. There's also video cloning technology, and I've been playing a lot with this. And as yeah. long as you train it with good quality data, so recording yourself for you know 30 seconds uh, is all it takes in some cases, you can type text into a program and not only will it generate uh, you know, audio that sounds like my voice, it'll generate the entire video that looks as good quality as for the people who are watching this, what? as good as this. And it is scary. Uh, everything, blinking, eye movements, twitches, it's all there. And I've shown this to a lot of people now. I do this little test where I show them three sample videos and ask them which are fake and which are real. Yeah, we'll put a link up here for the video that you did on that. And that's actually an area yeah. we want to dig into now is, is things that investors not are maybe not paying as much attention to. Because you have such a great perspective. You talk to so many people. And I really wanted to zero in on that today are things that you're seeing that maybe most of us either aren't seeing or not paying enough attention to. And you're right. That that audio clip that you played, it matches your cadence. You're exactly right. It's And it's subtle things that we wouldn't consciously notice, like when you take a breath, how you can change the variability of the pauses, the word selection you use is you like it is spooky good. And that's just yeah. with off the shelf tech today. Forget about two years from now. This isn't the future. This is now. That's a really good point because this is commercially available software that anyone can buy right now. And it's like 20, 30 bucks a month, something like that. It's pretty cheap. So imagine all the stuff that you can't access right now that other people have access to like fraudsters. And so yeah. one of the reasons that I'm looking at this is not only, you know, the positive use cases in terms of, you know, efficiencies and people's marketing and what have you, which is great, but I'm looking at it in terms of why people need to be much more on guard in this world of misinformation and disinformation and people trying to scam you out of your money. There are scams now that are getting, um, they're moving away from the spray and pray approach, which is yeah. kind of shotgun and just call everyone up. So there's a common scam called the grandparent scam. And this is where a fraudster will just call you up and they'll pretend to be you know, a child and just hope that they're getting a grandparent on the phone. They'll say, grandpa, is that you? And if it's been a while since you talked to your grandchild, you may not necessarily recognize their voice. It could be a bad call quality and you think, oh, that's not abnormal. That is my child. Who else would call and ask, hey, grandpa, is that you? And then your response might be, Sally, what's going on? Are you okay? Right. And now they know the grandchild's name. And then they proceed to come up with some kind of you know, uh, situation, some urgent situation where they need money quickly, they're too embarrassed to call their parents, and then the grandparent ends up sending over hundreds of dollars, maybe thousands. So that right. was a very low success sort of scam uh, strategy out there. But what really piqued my interest um, or tuned my, tuned my interest to this was the story of a mother who was called by someone using voice cloning technology pretending to be her daughter. So a parent knows how their child's voice sounds every day. Uh, because they spend so much time with them. And so to right. fool a parent, you know that this technology needs to be really good. And this woman was so convinced this this call apparently was her daughter sobbing, saying, Mom, I've been kidnapped. So as a parent, everything goes out the window. All you're thinking yeah. is, I need to save my kid. I'll do anything. Right. right. And so you don't have the luxury of time to think, oh, wait a second, that didn't sound exactly like them. Or maybe I should really. call. Yeah, or maybe I should exactly, call yeah. to, to verify. You don't do that, right? When it's your child right. and they're in danger, you'll do anything. So this woman was about to get into a van and agree to have a hood put on her head and being taken somewhere else to, to, to deliver money. So that's when I realized this is, we need to sound the alarm on this stuff. Um, and yeah, it is a bit alarmist, but the reality is if you haven't yet been 
had someone attempt to scam you out of money using AI. It's just a matter of time before someone does. So I wanted to sort of raise that alarm with people. Now, just to finish that story off, was the daughter kidnapped and did the lady go in the van with a bag over her head? Let's just close that story up. Yeah. So luckily she was with people, if I'm not mistaken, and they were like, something isn't right, something isn't right. Yeah. And they went to check if the daughter was around. The daughter was with the, the father. She was Everything fine. was fine. And she, the woman did not get into the van, but she ended up testifying in front of uh, Congress talking Got about, it. listen, this is a, a real danger now and we don't have the proper safeguards in place. We need to raise awareness. And that leads me to something that I've been sort of talking a lot about, which is the use of what's called an AI safe word. And right. this is a tool that many families should consider adopting um, to hopefully avoid situations like this. And it's uh, it comes from the world of spycraft, you know. If yeah, and it's found- a good, I, I watched your video on this, which we'll again, we'll link up here. And it's a good low tech solution to a very yeah. high tech problem, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the funny ones that we're all familiar with are like, um, I think the example used in that video was um, Tom Cruise in in one of the Mission Impossible movies where, you know, he gets those messages that self-destruct and sometimes they're they're handed by a courier. So when you're a spy and another person who you've never met before is supposed to hand you something of importance, you need some way to verify their identity. So they come up with these stupid things in the movies that are sensationalized. And I think their particular exchange was... um, the guy knocks on the door and says, fate whispers to the warrior, uh, a storm is coming, is the yeah, response. The warrior says, I am the storm. The warrior <laughs> says, I am the storm, right? So something totally stupid, which if you are right. trying to be undercover is the last thing you would do because it's so conspicuous. So a real safe word exchange would actually be something that would not be detectable like that. Um, but I don't know if ham- families need to get that sort of technical and have like a challenge and passphrase. Maybe you just need a thing that you customarily say that that lets you know that ah yes this is in fact my daughter i'm talking to and uh, the one thing i will caution people is once you set up a family safe word or safe phrase or some kind of protocol used when whenever you're talking to someone to kind of know oh yes this is someone who's in the inner circle practice it because i set up an ai right. safe word with my wife and i forgot it like the three times to quiz <laughs> me on it so we have to, you have to practice it <laughs> And you're out, you're yelling pineapple juice and nobody knows what's going on. So, okay. uh, so I know, I know some daycares and, and, uh, and, and things will use it. If somebody other than the regular parent or guardian is picking the child up, they'll have a safe word protocol so that the, the daycare knows, you know, if you say chicken nuggets, then that's the right word that you can take the kid or something like that. But again, literally low time, but I don't think people pay enough attention to this. And I think along with the software being incredible, you mentioned something else, which is really important to this, which is if there's enough of a data set to copy you, but also to find you and target you. And I think what many of us forget is because social media is so prevalent, um, people are putting so much information out into the universe. I thought it was interesting a few years ago when you had, you know, um, uh, people talking to Congress, you know, you had, you know, the head of Meta or Facebook on there, they're inquiring him about how it violates privacy. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, the whole point of Facebook is you don't have privacy. You're telling everybody all the stuff you're doing. You're giving the privacy away. But that creates some real risk because now people can target you. They know everything about your friends, where you traveled, your dog's name, your spouse's exactly. name, you know, your favorite colors. All these things we're willingly putting out there. So it's easier to, for people to zero in on you. And also the amount of content we're creating to capture our images, to capture like what do we look like? What do we sound like? 
And I don't think people are aware of that this data is being captured and can now be used as a weapon against them, right? Yes. And uh, some software out there to clone your voice needs only three seconds of data. Uh, and so when you think about just the prevalence of people's social media and the video, and as we shift more towards video, we have video and audio of pretty much anyone in the world. Even if you don't have a social media account, you may have appeared in a video and that's all it takes, right? So with that little training data needed to create these sophisticated clones, uh, it means that people need to have their guard up a little bit more. And it means when it comes to you know, teaching people about sort of good hygiene with fraud prevention and whatnot, understanding technology and how technology can be used against you is critically important. And when you think about what this means for the future of, you know, relationships, high value relationships, you're dealing with money. Yeah. We've seen you know, this trend where bank branches are closing and offices yeah. are closing. At some point, some people can say, you know, what? I would prefer to come and see you in person when it comes to making this high value transaction, because how do I know it's you? You know, like right. when it comes to taking trading instructions, I know most uh, advisors say we don't take voicemail and we don't take email instructions. It could be anyone. It's got to be a voice call where it's a live call. Well, if you can fake someone's voice in real time, yeah. you know, that's not 100 percent guarantee either. So it, it's a concern. Well, and even and the video, what you're sharing with me also is this idea about the video cloning where you can fake the video in real time. And now that, you know, so much of our activities move to this type of interaction with Zoom and Teams and other things, um, I'm actually surprised our industry has not yet begun asking for things like a safe word. So that, you mm -hmm. know, if you and I have a, a meeting together, I need to verify it's actually you, not some video clone of you. And so, again, a low tech solution would be that, you know, maybe we'll adopt this with our clients and say, look, we're going to put a word that you have to give to us, a challenge phrase or something at the beginning of the video to ver because even though I can see you, that doesn't mean it's you actually. Yeah. And two points to that. You know, when you think about Instagram and TikTok um, and the filters that you're able to put on yourself, they allow you to put, you know, right now it's things like makeup and it can make you look, you know, 10 years younger and instantly. Oh, I got it. Give me the name of that. I, I need that actually, whatever that yeah, yeah, is, yeah. I could use it because I'm only 23, but I'm a little worried about how I might get older. Oh, I didn't realize you're that old yet. Um, yeah, but, sorry, uh, yeah. But so they have the ability to provide instant filters, uh, you know, in real time. So there's no lag whatsoever. So it's only a matter of time before you can now completely replace your face with someone else's face in real time. And you can have wow. a voice synthesizer that changes your voice. So, you know, the ability to conduct, uh, you know, uh, a transaction online in a virtual meeting like this, I could make myself look like, you know, an 80 year old uh, woman and sound like an 80 year old right. woman and you wouldn't be able to tell. So that's getting very scary. And when it comes to a low tech solution for this high tech problem, you're so on the point with this because um, there was a Wall Street Journal reporter who tested out this uh, voice cloning software to see if she could, uh, you know, um, outsmart her bank because her bank had instituted voice print technology. So mm -hmm. similar to like a fingerprint used to identify you now, and even my bank here in the UK did this, they asked me, do you want to uh, enable us to use voice print technology so that when you are talking to us on the phone, we verify it against a sample we have on file that you will provide to make sure that it's you. Yeah, one of them I have, they say, you know, they take you to a special little thing. They say, we're gonna record it. And you say, yep. my voice is my password. And away yes. you go. But that can't be very good anymore. No, because this voice, so this Wall Street Journal reporter said I was able yeah. to beat that using voice cloning technology. Wow. So 
Yeah, so big industry is uh, unfortunately really behind the eight ball on this, uh, and it is going to be an arms race. So, you know, as soon as we come up with technology to detect this stuff, the technology is going to get better. And so the detecting technology, it's it's going to be leapfrog, and it's it's just going to be an arms race for technology in the space. So this is one great area where, you know, through watching your podcast and things, you really kind of highlighted something that I don't think I was paying nearly enough. And I'd say most people weren't paying nearly enough attention to. And I think the benefit of your perspective being, you know, kind of at this intersection of, you know, media and financial journalism, and you talk to so many people, I'm curious if there's some other major areas where investors are just, they're going to get blindsided because there's something happening and they're either not aware of it or they're not paying as much attention to it as you think they ought to be paying attention to it. And in a few years, we're going to wake up and go, oh my God. And I think back, for example, when the pandemic started uh, and I remember watching the the news reports of, you know, somewhere in China, they were building a hospital in seven days and they had like 15 bulldozers all going at the same time. And I'm like, well, that's weird. I had no idea that that was going to trigger the world being shut down for several years. So I'm just mm-hmm. curious if you see any butterflies flapping their wings and you're like, that is going to be really big. Yeah, maybe not so much in a in a macro perspective, because I'm focused a little bit more on the micro perspective. Sure. And there's there's a couple of things. One is, um, you know, our industry and a lot of people who are interested in uh, growing their wealth over a lifetime, they're focused on the accumulation phase. And it's yeah. the decumulation phase that's going to be really important um, for a couple of reasons. Um, you tend to, I don't know if it's a bimodal distribution, but you have some people who don't realize they could spend a lot more uh, maybe earlier on in life and actually yeah. have a better life balance between now and retirement. And then you have other people who are you know not saving enough, not investing wisely, and they don't have a retirement day because they never thought about it. And there's the potential to maybe have some kind of range there. And they're kind of leaving that on the table. So that's one area, which is the decumulation phase. And then the second one is around what happens when you have a household where one person is the financial decision maker and if they die before the other person. And I find that this is one of the biggest issues, especially as my parents get older and they start thinking more seriously about estate planning, About as I've heard from more people about mostly estate planning nightmares and headaches that people have because they never sat down to really think about it. They don't know where everything is. They don't know about you know the value of digital assets, all this stuff. Right. They've never thought about it because they always think I'll get to it later, right? And of course, death is the absolute last thing will, that will happen to you. Yeah. No one's but getting it's out of this alive. To you. Yeah, exactly. No one's getting out alive. And so so I, I feel like that is a big problem that I don't know if people will necessarily ever truly wake up to because I think at the back of my mind, you think, well, I'll be dead. What what I care? Well, the problem is you leave people around behind you, right? And for them, it can be an absolute nightmare if you just don't take a few steps early on. If you're not going to do it yourself, get someone to do it for you. That is probably the best, you know, inheritance everyone will ever get is if you get your stuff in order for when you eventually do die. I'm glad you mentioned those because those are actually two of the things that I spend and our practice spends a lot of time on where we notice most people are not paying attention to. And the first thing I think as an industry is we've been so focused on this concept of retirement, which now I think is quite cute because it's not just about getting to a comfortable retirement. It's actually staying comfortably retired. And mm-hmm. that's really about longevity. And we do a lot of work with Dr. Joe Coughlin at the Age Lab at MIT. And he's 
effectively teaching us that our assumptions about retirement are actually not at all what's really going to happen. So as an industry, we've been kind of preparing clients for things that turns out won't actually be true. And I think we're missing some of these. And that decumulation conversation is important because I don't think most people realize that this isn't their grandmother's retirement. They're going to have longer and more expensively than they anticipated. And they may spend as much time retired as they did working in their primary yeah, career. And, so, and I, uh, it's a while since I remember hearing the statistic. I might not get it perfectly uh, correct, but uh, I think demographers have said that the first person to live to 150 has likely been born today. Yes, and when you think about that, that you know, we have, we have people, octogenarians, we have people who have lived to 100, and they were literally born in the early 1900s where medical technology, right. quality of food, vitamins, all that stuff was markedly worse than it is today. Yes. And they were born back then and lived to 100, 110, 115 in extreme cases. So initially when I heard that, I thought, no way. And now when you sit down and think about it, it's like, well, why wouldn't that be possible? Right. Right. And so if, if that's like the case no, and you think born that- born in 1910 had Pilates, you know, and Stairmasters <laughs> right. and things. Like they didn't have any of that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, the one of the paradigm shifts in wealth management is going to be a shift in focus to the importance of decumulation, that whole phase. Um, and maybe it's a different terminology as well. But um, I think we talked about this offline before, but the concept of retirement age being 65 was invented when, you know, life expectancy was like 63. And the whole point yeah, of retirement was not- dead before you got to sleep. Yeah. And there was a way to get you out of the workforce. Yeah, it was a way to get you out of the workforce because you were unproductive. Yeah, the way the pension plans worked is that not many people ever got a dime because they died before they got there. And yeah. this idea that, you know, you're going to retire at 65, but you're going to die at 126. Like the, the math doesn't work for any of these plans if that's what we see. And I remind people quite often, you know, and you're, you're old enough to know this, um, hey, to, I, despite the filters, uh, <laughs> you know, when you were a kid and somebody turned 100, two things happened. You got a letter from the queen and CFTO News showed up and filmed you blowing out either the one candle on the cake or if you had a smart ass son-in-law, you had 100 candles, right? And that, And so we remember that those were special occasions like this was a big yeah. deal the press would show up now go to your local drugstore where they have the birthday card section and i guarantee there's at least three choices of cards that say happy 100th birthday right like this is unbelievable right. how this is changing so that's for us one area where we don't think people are adequately prepared and that's a financial conversation as much as it is What's your lifestyle going to be? How are you going to define yourself at work? And how are you going to stay busy and active and productive? Because you're not done yet. And what does that look like? And how do your mm -hmm. social groups change and other things? I think the other one, and you, I'm glad you touched on this, um, which is that, you know, for many couples, and I'm going to be very stereotypical and cisgendered and uh, whatever the right words are now, um, is that the reality is most couples, one person tends to drive the financial car in the relationship. And for us, it's very important that both of them develop some level of competency because one day one of them might have to drive alone. And, and we really see this, this imbalance in relationships between who does what. And we all divert, divvy up 
chores in the household, right? Between spouses or couples or partners. But the reality is the financial management, and you've seen this, I'm sure, when you were an advisor, tends to be one spouse is usually more interested and more engaged than the other. And that gap of knowledge is going to be a real problem if that person's gone and didn't leave a really good instruction manual or support systems for the other person. Right. Yeah, it's a huge issue. It's a huge issue. And, you know, the other thing that maybe maybe this will be maybe more of a macro thing. You know, if people are going to start living to 130, 150 more routinely at some point in the future, are they still going to get married at 20? Because that's like a 120 year marriage. And uh, I don't know. Has anyone ever had a 100 year anniversary? It's going to happen. Well, I bet at a lot some of them point. feel like it. They probably feel like it. <laughs> No comment. Uh, I just got married. I'm happy. Yeah, you're fine. Uh, that's why I was cute when you said it early. We, we, I married for love. We'll play this one back in 60 years and see how that feels. We'll put that back on. We'll put that one back on. Well, this is the other joke I tell with a lot of, again, I'll be very cisgendered and everything, whatever the right terms are now, uh, is that, you know, we know that, that women, biological women live longer than biological men. And part of the reason is all the men, they want to die first. Right. That's why they want to. That's a terrible <laughs> joke, but that's maybe connected to what you just said. I have no idea. Moving on before I get in any trouble with my compliance guys. Uh, but I think this idea about longevity and that's a really important issue. Um, some of the other things that are changing now that I think are, are interesting to see how this adopts is that most uh, uh, adults today have gone through roughly a 15 to almost 20 year period of interest rates being almost infinitesimal. And yeah. that led to lots of debt and lots of growth of, of consumption and nobody really paying off mortgages and that kind of stuff. All that seems to have changed dramatically in the last 18 months. Uh, what do you yes. think the outcome is? If, you, if I can get you to forecast a little bit, how do you think this change in interest rates and, and inflation rates are going to manifest themselves? I'm kind of surprising you with this question a little bit. But do you think this is something that, no, nah, it'll be short-lived or are we at a bit of a real gut check moment here for most people? I think a lot of people are having a gut check moment. They're certainly stressed. When I talk to sort of a prototypical average um, sort of household, the change in the cost of servicing debt has just gone up so fast in such a short period of time. It's been a real shock to their system. And yes, because of this protracted period of low interest rates, which encourages borrowing, that's what people did. And so people have borrowed to the hilt. And I would argue that a lot of people were at sort of like a, a knife's edge before interest rates went up because they just kept borrowing, borrowing, borrowing to consume. And now that the cost of that servicing that debt has gone up, now we're starting to see the repercussions. And so, yeah. you know, I know some people who work in insolvency and they're saying, you know, a lot of people assume that the people who go bankrupt are people who are just bad with money. And they said it's often a lot of the times it's just life happens to people who are otherwise sure. doing all the right things. And so life can change in a, in a heartbeat. And so if people are more and more stretched right now, if there is some kind of shock in terms of a recession and job loss, um, that's when things get really nasty. And I know a lot of economists have sort of said, especially earlier on before they got sort of lambasted for it, is that a recession is what's going to sort of, you know, bring the housing market into check and all this stuff. And to a certain extent, that might be true. Um, and so it's been a long time since we've had a nasty uh, recession. We had a technical recession, I suppose, in March 2020, but that also reversed in like a month. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was systemic and, and wide, but but uh, didn't last very long. But in terms of like, I'm talking like an early 90s uh, type yeah. of recession where it's really nasty. House prices lose, well, what do they lose? Like 40%. Yep. Um, you know, 
that's devastating. And that leaves scars with people. And we've had an entire generation who doesn't really know what that is like. And so I don't know what happens next because the other thing that has changed is that uh, governments and central banks uh, maybe do a little bit too much to protect from from the downside, which means we keep on kicking the can down the road. And at some point, something nasty happens. And if you keep on kicking the can down the road, then maybe that that correction is bigger, but later. And I feel like that's been the case in the last little while where there's almost been too much uh, intervention. Because mm-hmm. like, well, we don't want anyone to be hurt. Well, that's not kind of how the economy works. Um, if you keep on doing that forever, there's going to be a price that's paid ultimately. So how do you find that balance? I don't know if they've found the right balance. Um, but, um, you know, if you take a look at the at the long game, it comes back to the fundamentals. Um, if you have questions about the stuff that stresses you out, sit down, talk to someone about that, map it out. I've always found that for people who are really stressed about things, uh, one of the best things to reduce stress is to... Uh, as someone says, math it out, right? And once you start to see what are the options, how bad or maybe how not bad is your situation, that gives you a little bit more um, serenity uh, or or reduces anxiety with your financial situation. So if you are feeling like a lot of people are right now that you're really, really stretched and you're not talking to someone, you need to talk to someone. Yeah, we find that by, and the, the math it out is a really good term because by having some visibility to different scenarios, it tends to calm everybody out. Most people are afraid of the unknown, right? Yeah. So, and and the, the anticipation is usually worse than the reality. So we can usually sketch it. Well, what if inflation ran a little higher than we thought? Or what if we have to spend a little more on that than we thought? What does that look like, right? And that tends to, help manage expectations quite a bit. One of the things that you touched on, and you and I are very much in sync on this, is what makes this so difficult to try and anticipate what's coming next is central bankers and governments have not done what they should have done when they should have done it. And they've spent more money than they probably should. And that kicking the can down the road image is exactly right. And I've tried to explain to people, it's like if your house was on fire and three fire trucks showed up and all the firemen jumped out and they start playing tennis, why are you playing tennis? And they say, well, we have enough for a round robin. We can do it. I'm like, that's interesting, but not relevant to the job you're supposed to do. And that's why it's been difficult to forecast because a lot of what I believe the correct policy responses should have been, they didn't do those things. They did others. And I think it's really difficult given the pandemic and how much money was spent uh, by governments to make sure everybody was okay. I remember our prime minister said, we'll take on the debt so you don't have to. Okay, uh, that's what he said. Uh, they created uh, such an enormous amount of spending and debt. Now, where they're going to crucify everybody on interest rates that are high and like it's really weird that they saved us from one thing only to dump us into another. So I'm pontificating a little bit. I'll get off my soapbox, but uh, <laughs> I think that makes it really cloudy for people to figure out what exactly are interest rates going to stay here, go down, go up. To that point, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people are, I would say, rightly upset about is when the governor of the Bank of Canada came out and said, trust us, interest rates are going to stay low for a long time, so go out and borrow. Um, There should be no lack of confidence doing that. And then what happened? Interest rates shot up faster than they ever have in history. Um, Yeah, they didn't just double. They went up 22 times. Yeah. And so, you know, that really damaged the credibility of of, the the Bank of Canada. Uh, that was a real misstep. I'm sure he would take it back if he could. Obviously, the stuff that happened was very unprecedented. But at the same time, um, that just didn't wear well. Yeah. 
Exactly right. So, and he wasn't the only central banker that made comments like that. So we won't just blame yeah. poor Tiff. But, but I think sure. that's part of why people are struggling. Is like you said one thing, you did exactly the opposite. So we don't. Know, so you're out playing tennis when you should be grabbing the fire hoses. So that's my analogy. <laughs> um, quickly, I, I also wanted to touch on this idea because uh, you've had the opportunity to work in the U.S. You work in Canada. Are there any differences? That, that you've seen, I'm going to ask you to maybe generalize a little bit here. Well, I am going to mm-hmm. ask you to generalize a bit, but just our kind of bright line differences you've seen, for example, how Canadians versus Americans, for example, process risk or investing. Are there things that we do that might be a bit different that maybe we could learn from each other? Well, I would say in the U.S., my uh, shoot from the hip sort of analysis is that um, the entrepreneurial oh, I, spirit. I love the gunslinger analogy you started off with for the U.S. <laughs> I just want to mark that. Yeah. The shoot. Perfect. Okay, I got where you're going. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting choice of words, but um, yeah, um, I, I would say that the the sense of entrepreneurship in the U.S. Um, tends to be more of a way of life. Um, okay. And it, it feels like this is what you're supposed to do. You are supposed to take risks, uh, set up shop, try and make, you know, put your stake in the ground. There's, there's more of that ethos, I think, uh, overall. Um, what's interesting is, you know, when I uh, worked in Canada, I still work in Canada, but when I lived there and worked in the industry, talking to a lot of financial advisors across the country, um, I found that there were regional differences uh, as well. I found that generally speaking out West, there was more exposure to hedge funds mm-hmm. versus other provinces. and that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, as you can imagine, the prairies heavy into oil, gas, commodities, very heavy equity allocations uh, compared to other regions. And I guess Ontario was kind of my frame of reference. So this is all compared to, to Ontario. Uh, and also another thing, um, a bit of a tangent, but um, the use of credit unions outside of Ontario, the further you go from Ontario, the the, the deeper the use of credit unions versus right. banks, because all the headquarters are in, in Ontario. Um, in terms of the UK, I, I can't really say too much because I'm still relatively new here. My initial observations are appearances are very important. Um, and there's a bit more of... I, I don't know if theater is the right word when it comes to interactions with the financial services. Um, I feel like uh, Canada and the U.S., it's more, I don't know, there's there's less pretense. It's more let's get to this, whereas there's sort of a song and dance that you need to know if you're going to deal with people in the U.K., especially when it comes to higher net worth uh, okay. solutions, which I find kind of interesting. But I, I think that has to do with... Status and social signaling, it's important everywhere, but it is the way of life in the UK. Yeah, um, I can I understand mean, that a little bit because of this. Well, <laughs> and, and uh, the, which accent you have and which school tie you're yes. wearing, this is a very big deal still. Very big deal. Over there. Very big yeah. deal, yeah. Here in Canada, nobody cares. It's really about what donut order do you have at Tim Hortons. I think we'll really mark you <laughs> I think more than anything. Uh, well, this was good. Thank you for today. We spent about 35 minutes together and, I, and you covered some great ideas that we're going to take back as a team and figure out how do we apply some of these things. I like this idea about an AI safe word and having some protocol that we develop with clients so we kind of protect against that. Um, this idea of uh, helping clients to have a very good organizational file to as part of their legacy, which isn't just, oh, I leave this to this person, I have a good executor. It's like, what's the password for Facebook to turn it off if I can't do that anymore, right? Or what's my phone password, that kind of stuff. Make sure we've got those things identified for people. Um, This idea of longevity, I think is really important. 
I noted, by the way, when we were at that conference in Edmonton, so it's the Advanced Financial Planning Conference, the only thing that even approached the concept of longevity as a, uh, an educational part was there was a whole thing about catastrophic illness uh, insurance. That, to me, was the closest thing we got to longevity. So it tells me even our colleagues are not right. maybe putting this as a centerpiece yet to what right. they do. So you're, you're validating we're on the right track for that. Uh, and maybe we'll also work on Canadians adopting a little more of that risk-taking uh, entrepreneurship mentality that our American cousins uh, seem to be a little bit better at than us. I think we could benefit from some of that. And particularly important, I'll say just very quickly, because I think I just saw a report saying that Canadians are less likely to be entrepreneurial now because it, it was so easy to make money just owning a home. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. the annual price increases was greater than the salary of a lot of people for so long that people said, well, why would I start a business when I could just buy homes? Well, did that ever change? So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so we'll see what's next. Anyway, thank you very much for your time. On behalf of our clients and our viewers, I want to take uh, a minute to say thank you. Um, the work that you do is really important. Again, we've got links that we put up to some of your podcasts because uh, I think you created a really really important library for people that if they want to pay attention to their own financial welfare, you've got a lot of really good stuff out there. So thank you for doing that. Thanks, Darren. This has been Two-Way Traffic with Darren Coleman of Portage Cross-Border Wealth Management. Thanks for watching and listening. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for new episodes, send us an email at twowaypodcast at gmail.com. And you can find the Two-Way Traffic podcast on Facebook and Twitter. This series is a production of the Acme Podcasting Company. On behalf of the Two-Way Traffic Podcast and Portage Wealth of Raymond James, thank you for listening to this conversation. This podcast has been prepared by and expressed the opinions of Darren Coleman and his guests and are not necessarily the opinions of Raymond James Limited. Statistics, data, and other information presented are from sources Raymond James believes to be reliable, but their accuracy cannot be guaranteed. This podcast is for information purposes only and is not construed as an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of securities. Investors considering any investment should consult with their investment advisor to ensure that it is suitable for the investor's circumstances and risk tolerance before making any investment decision. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and should not be construed as providing legal, accounting, and or tax advice. Should viewers have any specific questions or issues in these areas, please consult your legal tax and or accounting advisor. Raymond James Limited is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Raymond James USA Limited is a member of FINRA and SIPC. Raymond James Limited and Raymond James USA Limited Financial Advisors may only transact businesses in provinces and or states where they're registered.